Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 4, titled The Narrow Escape Problem. You betcha. <laughs> do you know what this uh, title's all about? I actually think you have a better handle on it this week than I do, because I don't like math. Do I? I don't think you like math. Well, I, I don't understand the math involved. It's something about changing a variable to zero doesn't tell you anything about it. I can't divide by zero. Blows up your calculator. Essentially, yeah. So the no, narrow third grade. The narrow escape problem, well, also eight what is it? Five five three one eight zero zero eight. Are you making a boobies joke? I am. Boob yeah. joke? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh yeah, so the narrow escape problem is essentially a noose. Um it to to put it in short terms here. Uh it's it's about a particle being contained within a reflective uh, a boundary that is reflective um with a narrow escape window and then something about like changing the variable to zero uh you can't tell anything about it by changing it to zero and mm-hmm. so like the way i read it is essentially the window here is shrinking the mm-hmm. window for escape um and eventually it will close entirely so, like, uh, if you have a high bounce ball inside of a sphere that has, like, a little, little, little one-inch hole in it, how long will it take that ball to bounce around on average before it gets out? And, of course, if that hole shrinks to zero, it'll yeah. never get out. Right. And it just breaks your equation. And I think that's what's happening here, you know? I mean, this is the episode where Gloria really starts to put the pieces together. Last week, we had the go-nothing, go-nowhere, go um, learn-nothing episode for mm-hmm, Gloria. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, she's actually starting to tighten the noose, much like the Peter and the Wolf story here. Mm-hmm. Um, with her being Peter, she's she's starting to get that noose around that wolf's tail. Yeah. And, you know, eventually, I think, the Peter and the Wolf story is going to play out, and Gloria will get the wolf uh, mm-hmm. entangled in the noose. But I don't know. It could go the other way. Yeah, we talked a lot on um, our earlier Legion podcast, which, if you don't know, is another show that was created by Noah Hawley, uh, that he had kind of um, a, a love affair with Wes Anderson visuals. Yeah. And I noticed in this episode, when it started out, it was very Wes Anderson because, in fact, uh, if you've seen Moonrise Kingdom, which is probably one of my favorite, if not Fantastic Mr. Fox, of his works. Uh, it begins its its movie with something, not not the Peter and, and the Wolf, uh, but a similar thing where they're explaining, here's here's the symphony together, and here's what the oboe sound like, and here's what the woodwinds sound like. And here, mm-hmm. um, and also, I couldn't help but draw the association when I see Cy lovingly pour over his parking lot model. Mm-hmm. Like you know, with with all the headlights and and it just seems like he's a frustrated train conductor, miniature train <laughs> conductor. But that also felt Wes Anderson as fuck. Yeah, um, very similar to you know them kind of appropriating the the style of Don Hertzfeld last last uh, episode with the uh, the the space space animation. Mm-hmm. Um, however. While that episode kind of turned me cold, I actually was really engaged. I loved the fact that they continued using these animal letemoffs, letemoffs, letemoffs. Uh, I don't know that the, word. The like, like you know, Darth Vader. Dar, 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 is, oh, okay. Uh, that's his letemoff, yeah. letemoff. Hmm. Uh, that's a word that I've just now realized. I've only seen a print and I've never pronounced. And I'm. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen or heard that. That's word, that's so. throwing me off into the fucking deep end uh-huh. uh, without a life raft. Uh, but I really liked hearing, you know, as you know, Gloria's obviously Peter, and as she passes like Nikki at the parole office, and they play the cat theme, and then mm-hmm. 
Varga, they're always playing the wolf theme as he shows up, and then, you know, Ray hilariously gets to duck. Uh-huh. Um, I I liked it. I don't know. It added a little bit of something to it. And I also really <laughs> but, liked Billy okay. Bob Thornton. Be, did you realize? Yeah, yeah. And, and when he's like, all right, is everyone comfortable? Let's begin. And then it just instantly cuts to the fucking almost biblical uh, Fargo theme. I, I liked it. Right. Like that style Maybe. over substance. But if you're going to do it, you might as well go for broke on style. Maybe you should finish that sentence. Billy Bob Thornton is the guy who narrates the the story of Peter and the Wolf here and essentially tells you, you know, which instruments are represented by uh, yeah. which characters or the other way around. Because um, I imagine some people don't recognize his voice. Right. I did right away. Yeah, me too. Um, very few times do I get to like, you know, because I don't have a really good voice for that. Like, I didn't recognize Ewan McGregor and David Thewlis's voices in animation last week. I read review uh-huh. like, oh, God, yeah. Yeah. But I did. It's like, oh, yeah, it's Billy Bob Thornton. Um, the thing I didn't know about Peter and the Wolf until I started reading around is that it's actually Soviet era propaganda. Right. I did not know that, that it's essentially uh, aimed at young people and, and that that you're essentially uh, – it's, it's about Peter as like a youth revolutionary or whatever the Soviet equivalent of a Boy Scout. And it's designed to make young people uh, mentally resilient against the ideas of old people. Like old people are hmm. foolish and, and afraid and you know they don't like change and young people are bold and fearless and they're going to catch the wolf no matter what the old grumpy grandpa says. Sure. So Makes pre-revolutionary sense. grandpa starts talking about the czar and how things are better and you don't have to wait in line of toilet paper, then you know you could uh, put a noose around him and the wolf will show up and take him down. Or I don't... <laughs> <laughs> right, so that lines up. a very American view of the situation. It kind of lines up with, you know, if so if Gloria here is Peter, uh-huh. um, they say that the grandfather is Psy, uh, right. visually. And but... the, 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 his motif is is really funny. Like that, that basso, almost tuba kind of, when he's strutting yeah, his yeah. stuff, is, it always cracked me, it's cracked me up. But I don't quite understand that. Like, I, I would say that that theme applies more to Damick and Gloria's relationship, right? Like he's That's the true. old, the old guy is telling her, "Oh, this is all bullshit. It doesn't mean anything. Like let's yeah. just close the book." And Gloria's like, "Okay, no, I'm gonna go do my own thing." You're right. That would be a much more perfect. Um, I, I honestly don't understand how Peter and the Wolf fits these characters because they also describe the Vargas goons as the hunters, which would ultimately you know be the ones oh, to yeah. capture and, and, and lead the parade of the wolf like and there's a little drama between the bird and the duck and they argue about you know like the bird makes fun of the duck because he what kind of bird can't fly and the duck shoots back well, what kind of fucking bird can't can't swim kinda, also kind of makes sense with I, I hate to tell the soviet era propagandist but ducks can both fly and swim they can i saw i saw a goose flying the other day like <laughs> it was it was guarding its uh babies from a hawk oh yeah it's really interesting like this hawk was swooping in, and this goose just like jumped up and flew and tried to like bite it. Yeah, that's pretty badass. Yeah, actually, it's a it, we will just have a nature co- uh, uh, corner here <laughs> okay. on Fargo. It feels like a Fargo thing to do. Yeah, I was up in my dad's house last week. He lives in way northern Indiana, and there, there's a killdeer that was nesting by his barn, and the killdeer just lays their eggs like on the bare ground. And they're mm. perfectly camouflaged in the gravel. And every single time we'd go up to the gar- barn to get something out of it, she does this elaborate. Sure, she puffs up and tries to, and uh, but then when that doesn't work, she's like, ma- uh, the, the 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 bird instinctively pretends like it has a broken wing, 
Okay. And flops away from the nest like if you're a hungry predator. It's like, oh, forget yeah. the eggs. Look at this. I got this wounded bird. And presumably if you're a fox or a cat or a dog, you go over there after the wounded bird. And then the bird's like, ha-ha, fuck you. I protected yeah. my eggs. Remarkable. Remarkable. <laughs> yeah, birds are interesting. How does that how, – how the hell – like I, I believe in evolution, but sometimes I'm like, how, you know – Sure. How the hell did that? How the hell did all that unfathomable time end billions up? Billions and billions of years. There you go. Aaron. There you go. You just you, you, you're a lame. You're a lame duck or a lame <laughs> killdeer. So I don't quite understand all of the positioning of these characters because Sai as the grandfather makes zero sense to me. Well, and also that yeah, that's where I was getting at. Uh, I, I never really thought about this love, but you're right. And also Nikki as the cat in the play, the cat is like a minor antagonist of both the bird and the duck. Right. Um, that Peter has to warn them both. So the duck can retreat to the pond and the bird can retreat to the tree before they also Soviet air propagandists. Cats can climb trees. I don't know that the, the bird is necessarily safe here. <laughs> um, they just don't, they, there's no, no uh, communal funds for science and nature research in Soviet Russia. Well, they've got, they've got big gray buildings to build. <laughs> what can they do? Um, but yeah. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't understand how that's going to fit that like, I guess Nikki's going to turn and it sounds like in, in the play that the cat eventually eats the duck, which fair enough. I feel like Nikki's going to do something bad to, to Ray. Or, Wait, the or, cat eats the duck. I thought the wolf ate the duck. Oh, did the wolf eat the duck? I'm, I thought it was the cat. I'm almost certain it was the wolf. Cause at the end you can hear the duck, I think in the wolf's belly. Mm, yes, that's right. Because okay. it ate, it's so greedy, it ate a hole. Right. Which that then does? How does that tie in with? Uh, yeah. How does Ray get with mixed Varga? up with Varga? Like, obviously, they show him just like chowing down on food, and now he's bulimic. And like, yeah. uh, by the way, I'm not. I I'm the kind of guy that can eat barbecue ribs and watch The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife brought home some leftover. Um, nacho dip or whatever that she'd made for a work pit and i was eating that and like that and i'm like ah i gotta turn away and in fact mute because it was disgusting it really is i i wonder they followed off with a look into his gaping ruined mow right maw 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 yeah. I've said it so I, I, the word means nothing to me now. Sometimes let them out. I feel like the gratuity is unnecessary or the gratuitousness of it all. But it's part of it. It is. It is. I mean, that character is a repulsive being. He really is. From head to toe. He really is. Uh, so I guess it fits. But, yeah, I, I felt the same reaction. It was hard for me to watch that scene. I guess that explains his teeth. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's, that's a... common common to uh, people. If you, if you stick up bulimic yeah. enough, it turns out your stomach is made out of very powerful acid. Mm-hmm. And you keep bathing your uh, teeth in it. It's going to have bad, bad, bad effects on you. It's true. Uh, before we get too much further, I want to take a break and, and talk about some things that are impacting the show because we have been, because of our schedule, cramming this thing in on Thursday. Yeah. This thing being the Fargo podcast, which is suboptimal. I don't know if it's hurt our analysis any. Uh, and how would I know that? Because it's a bias. How would I know if I'm not – how how am I not myself? Um but it is it is stretching what we usually do, so we are going to move this to a Friday release instead of a Thursday release. So it's a good news, bad news situation. Bad news is it's going to be approximately a day later. Good news is hopefully it will lead to a better podcast. A day later and a day better. day later and a full day better. Yeah. 24 hours better. That's all I can promise. So uh, look, look for it to be on Fridays instead of Thursdays now. Um, 
Also, we've done we do a lot more than that at Bald Move. We have full coverage of the leftovers, full coverage of Better Call Saul. Uh, last week we reviewed Guardians of the Galaxy. We released a uh, quit your pitching episode on the club. We also had discussion of the Handmaid's Tale, Dear White People, and American Gods between Cecily and I on Monday. Uh, that's going to be a biweekly thing. Um, tons of stuff. Well, we got what do we got looking forward to for next week? Next week? Yeah. Uh, we got Alien Covenant. Oh, at some right. point. Alien Covenant yeah. is next week, Thursday. Probably some gameplay stuff for the club. Yep, we got, uh, a, got another gameplay thing coming up. Yeah, a lot of good and, stuff. Um, probably a commissioned podcast. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Uh, we will get back to the episode now. I, I did not. I did not know how tightly coupled uh, or how aggressively scheduled that that this episode that this season of Fargo was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're essentially um, only very slightly ahead of its actual airing order. And I don't, oh. I'm not sure how much of that is like principal photography and how much of that if they were doing reshoots. Or, but someone is asserting that s- this storyline is at least a partial response to global and, and, lo- and, and national politics. Hmm. That you've got the story of, um, you know, a, 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 a befuddled uh, developer who gets in over his head and accepts a loan from a shady Eastern European source that turns out to have Russian backing. And then when mm-hmm. it comes time to say, you know, stand up for yourself or try to get out of it, it's too late. You're already entangled. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, you can you can play uh, you, you can you can insert your personal politics into that. Uh, what do you think about that idea that this is uh, Noah Hawley kind of grappling with how, with how he feels um, and a lot of people feel about what's going on? Yeah, I could totally see that. It's um, actually, if, if, if let's just say the name, um, it's actually a pretty sympathetic take on the Trump situation. Yeah, I mean, if it, so, if it it's accurate. Seems like a pretty plain reading of the the scenario so far too and also also you know? to be to be fair and try to be neutral it's also assuming a lot of facts that are not in direct evidence right sure. now yeah so definitely um but i thought that and, was kind of interesting and that's too. not the end of it you know there there's the scene from varga at near the end of the episode with Emmett where he's talking about um or maybe it's not that scene but at some point in the episode he talks about how the truth is essentially the story that the the people Oh that was Yuri telling the story of how Putin came to power. Right, the two types of truth. Right. Um the the third which is untruth. Uh-huh. Um and that's the the weapon that the powerful wield. Right. And I mean, <laughs> that couldn't be more relevant in my right. mind. It's also very 1984, right? Like, it's not – that's sure, not yeah. a version of truth. Untruth is the opposite of truth, but it reminds and me of – And it's propaganda. I mean, it goes all the way back to the first scene of the season, right? Yeah. With the guy who is being told that he is someone that he knows he's exactly. not. It's not It's not a It's not a lie. It's an untruth. Like, like right. in 1984, if you didn't know, you're not allowed to say negative things. If things aren't bad, they're ungood or double plus ungood <laughs> right. if you want to make them really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, that that's uh, – clearly they're playing that. And then also uh, they get a little class warfare at the end too where they you know mention the very real truth that 85% of the world's wealth is controlled by the 1% um, and that – uh, should the the eighty should the ninety nine percent ever kind of wake up to that and decide they're pissed off about it? What's going to happen? And yeah. you know, there's also another real phenomenon is like in amongst the extremely crazy ass wealthy, they are investing in like 
resorts that only you can get by helicopter and have very strong uh-huh. walls and have lots of food and gasoline and private security forces and yeah it's it's like what you envision if you had unlimited funds you would do in the zombie apocalypse yeah or it's and essentially you were also happening a James bond villain right but the public are the zombies right yeah my question to if you're a billionaire that you're going through there like what do you think when you look at your private security forces with all their guns and tactical training and and former special forces skill set like why wouldn't they just fucking at day one of the apocalypse shoot your fat ass <laughs> right and then take all your wealth and opulence for themselves <laughs> uh yeah no it's it's a fair question and also like i i have to I guess those people just don't care what they're doing, right, about what they're doing. They they certainly understand. Like, if you understand enough to say um, there's a reckoning coming and mm-hmm. I need to protect against it, mm-hmm. you can certainly understand that you're the cause of it too, right? Yeah. So at, instead of maybe trying to build the walls and protect yourself from the eventual reckoning, maybe try and prevent that reckoning. Yeah, I mean, there's like it's a, there's a time-honored practice of bread and circuses like i forget who it was maybe it's warren buffett maybe it's an older one it's like rich people make sure the poor people are fed because if they're not the poor people eventually eat the rich right so like you know uh make sure they're 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 well taken care of and they're well fed and they have plenty of football and fargo and better call Saul to watch and they won't give you problems (laughs) you can continue Uh happily extracting as much wealth as you want but as soon as they start getting hungry or they're sick and they're dying, um, then what? Yeah. So it seems like the strategy of Varga is to distance himself by essentially pretending not to be wealthy, looking to the the people as if he were not wealthy. Right. Because it's nearly impossible to see what a person it's a actually owns yeah, you, if, you, if you're just a plebe, right? You see this guy at a bar and yeah. you do not think twice about him. You don't think, "Oh, there's one of the richest most powerful men." You see right. Emmett at a bar mm-hmm. and you might think that he is like one, you know, he's he's one of the elite. And that's the other the other thing about class warfare is like the really unimaginably wealthy try to pitch the merely well-off against the poor. Sure. Like the doctors yeah. and lawyers and 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 businessmen that yeah. are still essentially, you know, wage slaves to the people that have generational wealth, mm-hmm. you know, and um, because those people that are actually earning high incomes are actually paying crazy amount of taxes where the ultra rich, they, they have ways around that. So I, I think this is all this is all fascinating. It um, is. And. It also like I keep I keep seeing in reviews, uh, just like this recent most recent one, the A V Club was saying, like it's you know, it's undeniable the art is there and it's pleasant to look at, but it just feels like it's un you know, there that might not be reason enough for it to exist. Which mm, yeah. number one, like I know we've espoused that opinion too, and I'm trying to think like it does seem kind of crazy. Uh secondly, do you think I, I kind of played around this last week, but that Noah is going to do something really crazy awesome with the concept of a useless machine. Because, <laughs> like, it seems like people are kind of describing Fargo as, like, yeah, it's neat. You, you flip the switch and it turns itself off. That's cool. Right. Now what? But we just spent, like, what, 15 minutes talking about all these liter- literary and, and important current event subjects that mm-hmm. we, you know... uh but it feels like a shell around what is a pretty 
I won't say boring, um, maybe generic story. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that immediately hooks me about the story. I guess uh, Emmett and Ray's relationship. So I like character dramas. That's yeah, yeah, that's like my bread and butter. It's the best thing on TV is when you can really create great characters and give them some intense drama watch based on that. Yep. Uh, I don't think this show does that, hmm. and it it at times risks losing me because of it. Why do you say that? Because I I thought this episode is great, and I particularly like the interplay between the brothers and Varga, and I love this new Winnie character, um, and Sai and Sai and like they. It seems like it is nothing but interesting characters bouncing off. To well, the, it's quirky characters. I don't feel like they're extremely deep. So you don't characters. feel like they're real. Yeah, I don't feel like they're real. I don't feel like they're deep. Yeah, Gloria weirdly seems like the most real down down to earth one of all of them. Uh because yeah. she's got the Minnesota nice kind of dialed down to its, you know, to 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 its lowest level you can get and still be called Minnesota nice. Yeah, and see she seems like the sharpest one uh among the bunch. She's as well. disillusioned. She's already had her version yeah. of the American dream shattered when her husband left and now this asshole chief is taking over a job. Yeah. She she seems much more real um, than a lot of the other characters. And I guess, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Like, uh, my concern, since we talked about, to the extent that this shows value, if we don't grant the fact that it's just interesting and entertaining characters. Because as you say, like, yeah, they might be interesting, but they're quirky, which means they're not as relatable. Right. Which is also something that you can, a lot of, you know, Wes Anderson entertainment, like, can sure. really... Like with the Dar- uh, Darjeeling Unlimited, can you really get involved with these brothers' pathos when they are not recognizable as real people? Um, yeah, it's strange because one of my favorite uh, Wes Anderson movies is Life Aquatic with right. Steve Zissou. And I think that actually has a pretty powerful father-son uh, relationship in right. it. Even though the character, one of the characters, right. is extraordinarily quirky. Right. Very exotic, you might say. <laughs> Very. But but where I'm getting at is if so if we grant the argument, and I'm not saying I do because we're still only four episodes in here. But if we're going yeah. if we if we're going to uh, be one of those outlets that espouse the idea that if this thing has importance, it's only in how it looks at kind of current events and and gets you to think of them differently. I guess I have a problem with that because I can't see this season ending out any other way than a some sort of shootout and some sort of bloodshed and some sort of Gloria, um, you know, winning and solving the murder. But, like, it's not – like, I don't think it's going to bring down VM Varga. It's certainly not going to redistribute wealth around the globe to people that need it. Like, I mean, if you think VM Varga is the wolf, as yeah. described in the Peter the Wolf story, it it would bring him down, right? Mm. Um, it would It would put him in a cage and it would put the public – because at the end of the – Peter and the Wolf story, they take the wolf to a zoo, right? Cage it up and put it out in front of everyone. Right. Which I think would be V and Varga's worst nightmare, um, exposing him to the public. Do you think, and I'm going to go ahead and theorycraft because I was so fucking right on about the uh, brothers dressing up as each other. <laughs> yes, you were. Uh, completely whiffed on the million dollars being in that vault. Didn't see a remains of a dog. Um, <laughs> but do you, do you think that... We're going to come to a is a possibility that VM Varga is essentially Emmett twenty years ago later, like like that because I, I literally I find it, like I find it, time no, travel. No, 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 no. Okay, although fuck you, Noah Hawley, <laughs> if you do that. If, um, but 
I don't believe that VM Varga is literally like the man pulling all the strings. Mm -hmm. I think he's a man trying to get crazy wealthy. But is this kind of like some kind of weird pyramid scheme that like like a long time ago some Soviet asshole took over VM Varga's British cobbler thing mm-hmm. and took him like an international conglomerate and now he takes those lessons and has caught like it's like it's one of those self-perpetuating things uh it certainly could be i, I mean the idea that you know truth is what the powerful say it is uh-huh. uh could be something varga is using to his advantage i mean it's right. possible that varga doesn't own much of anything and that this suit is all just to put on you know yeah the story about why he wears it and the other character archetypes that he closely resembles like you know he's billy bob thornton obviously and then hanzi was kind of like the predatory um borderline supernatural ca- character in the second season yeah none of those were the head and cheese that's true. They were all some uh, some form of, of henchman, although I guess Mike Milligan's got a little bit of that DNA in him, too. But then again, he wasn't head cheese either. No, he wasn't. So are we ever going to meet the top level that's that's above VM Varga that's, you know... We always get glimpses at it. Yeah. Um, you always get, like, a, a bank of phones or an office building uh, that Milligan reports into. Like, mm-hmm. you get glimpses. I don't think you ever see the tip top. Right. I, I think that mystery goes a long way to... Uh, making it it's just intriguing right right like who are these people how do they run things um yeah i think all those questions are good to have at the end of the season right um yeah and also like i mean i don't believe that the one percent are all international criminals either. <laughs> right yeah you know sure uh so that's another part of the that's an imperfect um way to kind of square the circle as well let me ask propaganda you, uh, in its own right uh let me ask you about Emmett and his role in this because you know VM comes to him and essentially blackmailing him extorting him into seducing him it, right so yeah it starts off as threats right and you can see kind of at the end of the scene where he's talking about you know this accounting that's coming mm-hmm. from the rich and the poor and how the rich kind of make themselves invisible and he wants to build that kind of wealth with Emmett uh, Emmett does seem seduced by it I think at the end of that scene, Emmett is a little more on board than he's been. Well, he signed the contract, right? Yeah. That also, you know, there's a lot of um, but I think before that imagery scene, there too, right? To deal with the devil. Sure. Signing away yeah. your soul. I do think before that scene, though, he would have signed that contract uh, because of the threats and certainly begrudgingly. Right. But here, I almost think he signs it willingly. Yeah. As if he he had bought into the philosophy of vm varga yeah at least no, partially I mean, um it does it does seem i don't know it does seem troubling like if i was a wealthy person and i see how kind of precarious the world institutions are from time to time it's like you know geez do i want to be the first one against the wall when all the shit happens yeah um i can so i i thought that was interesting that Varga has successfully split a wedge between Emmett and Psy, and I don't know what that means because also Psy is a huge fucking liability. <laughs> yes, he is. We didn't realize that until this episode, but his escalation with fucking Ray. Mm-hmm. Ray's not worth this. And the fact that he I thought I thought Psy was smart, but in this episode he's a damn fool because Yeah. 
bald move rule number one is don't talk to cops. Okay. Uh, Fucking lawyer up whenever they you know start 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 asking questions. Um, however, if you're not like I, I feel like he did the worst of all worlds, where he told just enough to pique their interest, and he also got involved in telling lies, and he's obstructing. Like you can't you can't lie to like the the second corollary is don't ever lie to cops. <laughs> right. You know, your job is just to protect your rights as a citizen. And, like, like I don't know why he couldn't be, just say, hey, look, if this is an official uh, official investigation, I'm gonna we're going to have to get our corporate attorneys involved because I don't want to open my company up to any liability. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if he wants to keep it short and simple, it's like I need to consult, I'll, I'll, I'll need to consult my lawyer before I know what kind of records that we can release, all that kind of stuff. I. But he just did yeah. the work, and it's a, it seems like a clear homage to Jerry Lundergaard from Fargo. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I just waiting for him to be like, "Hey, I'm 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 cooperating here." <laughs> um, and also, what what really made it great is Yuri and uh, his henchman, mm-hmm. um, the headphone wearing guy. How they're just like staring, cause, staring. Burning whole laser beam holes with their eyes because yeah. it looks to them like maybe Psy had called the cops or at least that's what they're worried about. Sure. Um, and then that does that did that did you think that precipitated the uh, visit that Varga paid to Emmett because it directly hmm, happened right after you see it looked like Varga just appears out of the snowstorm. Yeah, he doesn't pull up in a car. He just trunges from off screen and knocks on the door and invites himself over for dinner. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it that those things might be connected. But, but it seems I like they could. It seems like Sai might take a fall because he, by his stupidity, he's brought police attention onto this enterprise. Right. And instead of being like, yeah, is his jerk off, I mean, instead of falling on the sword, he's now kind of engaged in a cover-up that they're going to have to, because, I mean, he drove the fucking Humvee. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, it it wasn't like, <laughs> I mean, Psy, okay, I, I don't think he's super smart at this point, um, but he is kind of a victim of bad luck as well, right? Like, but but it it is also connected to his own anger, um, his own pettiness, like when he he gives you know Ray the finger and he drives off in the Humvee, he accidentally slams into that lady's car, which is the thing that brings the cops around. Right. So, like, it's not really his own fault, and it's not something he could have prevented by being smart, but he could have prevented it by being less petty and less vengeful. Well, that's, and like, don't you think that's another way of saying he could have played it smarter? I guess so yeah a little more even even headed someone I, I can't remember if it was on the forums on reddit said that it's not that he's not smart it's just the smart people look stupid when they're outside their element mm, yeah so like you know this guy is apparently good at doing real estate deals and putting together parking lot models yeah. and slowly building a sustainable business <laughs> through smart acquisitions he's not so good in a bare knuckle street battle with some low life that has a hell of a lot less to lose than he does or dealing with the cops or dealing with the cops or or trying to intimidate someone because you do the the stare down and the point and then you try to get in your humvee and oh shit it's locked or it's frozen shut that's such a great a great scene still pretty good there were a couple of other moments that i really liked like the wig in the opening sequence when when ray shaves his mustache and puts that wig on Uh I mean, I guess it's passable. Well, it's, it's it's it obviously looks like a wig, and it's terrible. But 
it kind of does look like Emmett. Well, and then it's funny because Boss Hogg or whatever the bo- the banker's name, he comes yeah. in and's like, "Come on, Marilyn, you got to know faces." Uh-huh. When like he, this guy doesn't. I mean, obviously he's Ewan McGregor, so he looks a yeah. lot like the guy. But if you look at the way he's dressed, mm-hmm. the shoes, and it's so funny because they directly can compare how shoddy Ray is getting dressed and how bad his wig is to just kind of how Minnesota put together mm-hmm. uh, Emmett is. It's like yeah. the banker's like, you got to know faces. And, and then he's also, he says that she's more of a looker than she is a smart. Yeah. And then like, you know, I'm not saying the woman's bad looking, but uh, yeah, I mean, may, maybe she's just a cream soda fetcher and that's it. Maybe. Um, it's her first day. Give her a break. Where so a lot? It's so funny because the first episode and the, spe- the second episode, I'm thinking, how in the hell can Gloria crack this case? Mm-hmm. And then halfway through this episode, I'm like, oh shit, these guys have the same, all have the same last name. Yeah, like when she goes to visit, like when she goes to visit Ray, and they had the last name, and the brothers had the last name, and now there's this public beefing. Like this suddenly went from. How are you going to solve it because it's unfathomable pinheadery Mm -hmm. to it's now seemingly very easy to solve. In fact, like it might be solved the next episode or two. And what does that do with the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, it would have been a lot harder to track um, had had they not killed him with the air conditioner right outside of Nikki's place. Yeah. And especially Um, now I guess have the business card in his pocket. Yeah, and now she's seen, but that's not suspicious all by itself, right? Um, but then you you connect the Stussy. And names. She saw Nikki coming out of the building, and yeah, and right. definitely she. You know, I think Nikki Swangy, Swangy is someone that you would notice if you met her again. Yeah, and like also wasn't I, when Ray get, loses his job, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that like um, he's going to move in with Nikki. Oh, okay. Um, or or at the very least, when she goes back to to interview Ray again, they're gonna be like, "Oh no, we fired him. Here's yeah. his new address." And or we and what? Well, why did you fire him? Because he took up with his parolee, Nikki Swangy. Well, where does she live? I want to talk to her. Yeah, well, I oh, mean, it's, it's the just, same building. Yeah. Like, there's three different ways this fuck th- fucking thing is gonna explode wide open on everything. For sure, you can see the escape window closing. And I also like Winnie and um, Gloria is kind of like a Cagney and Lacey team up. Okay. Yeah. Um. I, I I don't know. I like I liked Winnie a lot. I like the fact that she's an overshare and she's like way too nice and bubbly, and that she will just <laughs> presume to come over to your house at night. And uh-huh. uh, I I liked everything about her. I hope I I, I like I, I I want I like seeing Gloria and her together. I think it's going to be fun. She is entertaining for sure. Uh, uh, the the other moment that I really liked is in the the banker's office there. <laughs> where Ray says, if I wanted an opinion from an asshole, I'd ask my own. Right. I think that's when he says it. Uh-huh. Uh, great line. Uh-huh. Never heard that before, but it was good. Did you get the other Big Lebowski um Oh, there's reference? several, yeah. Uh, the um, the preferred nom- nomenclature is Cremains. Right, Cremains. There's, I mean, you can read into, you know, the, the ashes all over uh, Ray's hands. That's something that happens to Big Lebowski. Uh, Donnie gets ashes dumped all over his face in the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, sorry, the dude gets ashes dumped on his face of Donnie's ashes. Right. Uh, and then Damick, when he's goes off on this unrelated war story, is very Walter, right? <laughs> That's true. I didn't think about that. 
Yeah, so several several references. I also love how just completely unaffected Gloria is by that because he's like, um, you know, when I was in Fallujah, I had some guys buck me, and to a man, they came back in, in body bags and uh-huh. came home in body bags. She goes, well, well, you know, I'm already home, and I'm a woman, so I uh, guess I'll be <laughs> doing whatever I want now. Yeah, it felt very Marge, too, Marge Gunderson. I wonder how much longer she can get away with doing that before because like is this thing a suggestion or is it a done deal because eventually moe's just going to also god damn it moe is being so fucking obtuse here okay like i I agree like i don't i I get it that you want to put you want to make her cow or kiss the ring or whatever but like at what point does that interfere with good police work? And she's she's like, you know, obviously this isn't just some random bullshit thing. Why do you want to close it so bad? I mean, I get, fuck me. I watch The Wire. I know. They just want the But but it's it's also like this place gets like one one murder every 30 years. Yeah. You know, can we and, and, and the the investigation's already yielded this much fruit? I don't get it. Yeah, I think um she's going to keep pulling at that thread and you know, Damick at some point will have to acknowledge that there's more to it. Right. Uh, one other thing that I think was going to be interesting when we start talking about unpacking this whole riddle is Ray, as Emmett, was warned by the boss hog banker that if you withdraw $10,000, it automatically triggers and he's cut off. But yeah. what I know because I had to write a fucking bunch of reports to track just this very thing, is it automatically triggers a report to the IRS, and also as of sometime after 2011, a report to the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. That will probably be relevant, right? Got to be. But how? Uh, I don't know. Because I don't, it's not that I don't think Emmett's going to report it for tax. He's not – I mean, that would only – I don't. I don't know. I don't know what that's for. A guy Emmett to take out ten thousand dollars. Like I don't. I don't. I don't know how it's going to affect things. But the fact that it was mentioned and ignored, I feel like it's got to be something important. Yeah, and the other thing that I know has got to be important is this idea that they're kind of on to Psy because he got Ray fired. Essentially, um, right. This has to work out badly for Psy, but I'm not really sure how because. They well, he's hitting nothing. He's hit and run, which isn't nothing, right? But who cares, right? Okay. In the grand scheme of things, that's a misdemeanor at, at worst. Like, right? He's got much anybody. bigger problems yeah, yeah, yeah. in in the form of Varga and Gloria's got to get involved with Varga, and I don't see how that's going to happen. But it seems inevitable. Yeah, well, ba- based on the connections with Sai and cover-ups, Ray. always worse than the crime. I don't know. Maybe she hits him with obstruction yeah. of justice and get it gets it to fel- felonious levels. Um, is what is the deal with the cremains? Like, I don't understand in what world you take a dog's remains and you put them in a safety deposit box. Yeah. I don't know. I love the dog, I guess. But then inter it properly. Uh huh. Like, the safety deposit <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, I mean,. I'm trying to think, like, well, maybe he's wanting to wait till spring, and he's wanting to sprinkle it over his favorite lake, um, and he's wanting it to thaw out. But, like, why would you put it in a safety deposit box? No one's going to steal your dog ashes. Is it possible Keep that— Keep it in an urn on your mantelpiece until sure. it's springtime, and then sprinkle the fucking dog ashes. Yeah, you don't keep your famous stamp in the safety deposit and, box. And, and there's something more—I mean, I, I, I want to say there's something more to it, except for we saw the other end in the conversation where it just seems like, yeah, it's a beloved dog. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. 
Hmm. That that's a good point. I was wondering if maybe Varga had something to do with it, because I thought the money was going to be in there. I honestly did. Right. Um, the million bucks. I did Varga's too. money. I thought it was going to be I in did. there. I was smug as a bug in a rug when this episode is like, oh fuck yeah, and he's going to open it, and it's a, and then Laverne. I'm like, what? Right. What? Well, there's going to be obviously something in there. Nope, it's just cremains. Oh uh, shit. Yeah. Um. Did you think? Maurice's autopsy. Did you think that looked good? Because I was reading Alan Seppenwald's pra- praising I'm... how like how you know while grisly, but how how great it looked, and I kept on thinking it looks like what it is, which is a latex body. I have no idea. I I have honestly never seen um, a body in that state. That's true. I've never seen a body that's been caved in by an air conditioner, or even like. You know, post frozen, I guess. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know what they had done to this body mm-hmm. to to preserve it, but it seemed clear that they it was in some kind of storage. It's been a while, right? Yeah, I'm um, sure it's cold. Yeah, I, I've never seen a body in that state, so huh. I couldn't okay. tell you. Well, I mean, I've seen a lot of. I, I just feel like I've. That's not a completely unique thing to see. Like, I mean, I've seen countless autopsy scenes and cadaver scenes and stuff, and then like, I I didn't think it looks. I thought it looked kind of crappy, honestly. Hmm. Okay. Um, especially with how long how long they they let us just sit there and 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 look at it. Yeah. Um, we saw a lot more of um we saw a lot more of Gloria getting rejected by technology. Mm-hmm. And I, this is one I want to talk about the theme of camouflage because Varga is essentially saying I live invisibly, which is the ultimate you know camouflage. It's like predator level camouflage. If you recall. Right. Um, there's discussion in, uh, season one that, uh, um, Lorne has with, uh, uh, about predators and the evolution of seeing green and, you know, how that, that, that helps, that helps them be camouflaged. And do you think that one of the things is that Varga is like supremely confident in his camouflage and his ability to track and find people, but like Gloria is the ultimate predator? For someone uh, like him, because yeah, she possible. has no digital footprint at ever. She doesn't make phone calls, and when she does, they're all garbled, and she mm-hmm. can't, you know, fingerprint scanners don't work for her. She can't even dispense soap uh, right. out of a soap dispenser. Uh, she's, you know, most importantly, not on Facebook. She's not on uh, Facebook. She makes that point last episode, and right. then we can see this episode of Varga researching Emmett on Facebook and mm-hmm. Ray's relationship. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think this could be the ultimate uh, foe for Varga. Yeah, I really like the scene of her trying for the hand dryer after when he leaves the restroom. She's uh-huh. like furtively trying to like, come on, work. I just saw <laughs> you work for someone else. How did her hands get so wet? Whose? I don't think there Gloria. were. I think that she she can't. You know, she's used the bathroom, I guess, and she can't wash her hands. Yeah. So she's just trying, I guess, to get anything to work. She needs to carry around some sanitizer. Sanitizer. I do hate those automatic. I I, I hate those automatic faucets and soap dispensers. Yeah, they never quite work how you want them to. Yeah, especially soap dispensers. I can't get I can't get away from the idea that I feel like I'm jerking the thing off, and then it always it always dispenses like way too much soap. Or like I waited, or do and you I just normally use too little. <laughs> 
Yeah, fair point. I'll have to think about that one. Or what really drives me crazy is I wave my hand under and nothing happens, so then I take my hand away, and then it dispenses into the bowl. Yeah. And I'm like, son of a bitch, son of a bitch. How can this possibly be more efficient? Or I guess it's a germaphobe thing, right? Yeah, Sure, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to touch anything, so... But I, I've never understood the soap dispenser because you're only touching the soap dispenser before you've washed your hands. Right. So right. who cares? And, like, uh, I understand, like, why you'd want an automatic shut-off switch. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you turn the handle and it turns back off in 10 seconds because the assholes will plug up the sink and make a mess. Right. But, like, this this modern fixation <laughs> on on things that are dispensed and then people don't take care of them and the sensors don't work it it's really it just drives me crazy man i like it doors don't work yeah yeah i don't even have a glory problem i just think there's a suboptimal interface okay um what else we want to talk about man i think that's about all i've got why let me ask you this why does ray just give up on life when he realizes that, I mean, he's sitting there in the parole officer's uh, meeting, mm-hmm. and he says, I got this beautiful girl, and she loves me, and we've got these, this sponsor I'm excited about, and we got this career, and plus we got fun, we got seed money now, and like all this other stuff, everything's going, and just because he finds out that, that Cy cost him his job, he's going to go fucking bar it up and, and cause Nikki and him to miss out on this important plumbing sponsor? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That, that seems seemed... like the type of guy he is, though, right? Yeah. You don't get to the place in life I where guess people true. are pissing on your boots regularly. Right. And you're just taking it. Right. Without being that kind of guy. I get but I mean, I get it. His vet's locked up. But, like, fucking call a cab or call Nikki and say, hey, this guy's fucked with me. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with that? Because she can't be none too pleased. No. I think uh, she's not going to be happy. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm wondering, ah, I'm wondering what whether or not Ray's read on the situation, like I love her, she loves me, is actually accurate, um, mm. because that would have an effect on what Nikki might do. Man, I've been looking all these four episodes, and I don't see anything but her being at least affectionate with Ray. Yeah, because like when she sends him off to do the bank job, it seems like she's really proud and happy for him. Yeah, not I guess like it's rolling my... his eyes and like, oh god, this guy. No, I'm I'm automatically biased against her because she's an apparent criminal, you know. Yeah, and so that, is that criminal mindset you've got there, <laughs> Nikki. <laughs> right. I see. Attribute, there you go. I attribute that to her, and that she couldn't possibly have, you know, turned around. But it's possible she did. I, you know, the thing is, is like when she's acting and no one's there to see her is where I think the affection. Like if 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 if, if soon as he got out of the car, she went from peppy and proud of you to like dead face or even like roll her eyes or like blue you know like yeah but like it the illusion never stops so mm-hmm. um I, I don't know where that's where where um i don't know where i'm going with that the other thing i noticed is um varga when he's given this this weird pep talk slash seduction to Emmett, he mentions there's 25 chapters of genesis that deal with fraternal feuding uh-huh and they also talked about Jacob and Esau, which we covered a couple episodes ago. And he's also taken out a loan for $25 million. Is that symmetry? Does that mean anything? Or is that just 25 is a nice, not round number, but it sounds like an impressive amount of seed money to start the criminal uh, enterprise? I'm not really sure. Okay. All right. 
Uh, and then the other thing I thought was interesting is Varga is shown later on, like, laying down on the floor of the semi that he's got this, like, this spy rig that he's got set up. And he's listening on his headphones, and Billy Bob Thornton is narrating about, you know, the grandfather come out and said, what if there'd be a wolf here? But Peter knew the boy, the not all boys are afraid of wolves. Um, he's lip syncing to that. Like, VM Varga's lips are matching up with what Billy Bob Thornton is saying. What the fuck <laughs> okay. does that mean? Uh, good question. Secondly... Well, okay, so oh, okay. so Billy Bob Thornton in the first season is the wolf. I mean, Indeed. Lauren Malvo is a wolf. So, and, and he's portrayed as that, and he is Might even be described the as that. Uh-huh. Um, so it very well could be that they're just saying... This guy is the same. They're as drawing the parallels. Mama, yeah, yeah. Because especially the the fucking music told him told me that he's the wolf. So right. I guess that makes sense. Um, but that's unreal. Because like, oh, or I guess maybe VM Varga is actually listening to Peter and the Wolf just for shits and grins. Because did the other Possibly. thing? Did you notice that he had a picture of Lennon uh-uh. up in his spy booth? No. Yeah, no, no, Weird. it wasn't Lennon. It was Joseph Stalin. Okay, <laughs> he had a picture of B- B- Big Joe up there. Hmm. Looking down. The other thing is, Gloria's kid, he says he's 12. If that kid's 12, I'm 24. Yeah. That kid's like 17 years old. And it, it, it's ludicrous. Like, if they had a real 12-year-old boy, I think it would play better. But it's, it's so ludicrous to see him tucking her, tucking. And it makes sense because, like, I, I thought it was just so weird how infantile they're making this, what looks like he's a guy on the cusp of manhood. <laughs> right. And she's tucking him in, and like you're still my baby. Is like I, you need to get so you need. To yeah, get he's it. actually in the scene where Ray's drinking at the bar. He's in the next seat over. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, mother doesn't understand me. Right. I don't get it. Um, all right, that that that. I think I got it all out. Okay. Uh, we have some. Feedback. Let me ask you one more question. All right, what the hell are they up to? Who? The goons, the the Varga and the Russian and the they're headphone laund- they're guy. They're laundering unfathomable amounts of money. I think that's it. I really do. You think that's it? Don't, I mean. Why, why would he ask the question on screen, to the screen almost? Like, what are they up to? Um, you see him uh, with a, a suitcase and the, the blackjack. Do you think that they are actually, I mean, the only other thing they could be doing is hoarding information yeah you do see through the door there's a lot of computers in there mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. god knows what and they imply that that's what's in these mysterious semis his like right. spy bunker thing yeah uh yeah i don't know i'm not sure exactly what they're up to because we don't really know what their business I mean, is they right? say they say that you have they're to have money launder, to launder they're gonna la- they're gonna they're gonna launder money and they do business in north korea and south africa and a whole bunch of other in eastern europe and a bunch right. of other uns, quote-unquote unsavory places but are they laundering their money or are they laundering someone else's money are mm. they like a middleman launderer service they just launder like, money i bet that's lucrative oh yeah be an no, underground totally. if you had a, a airtight money laundering operation that would be pretty pretty in demand i would think yeah I'd probably use it. <laughs> <laughs> Even for my legal. Yeah, why not? Uh, the government doesn't need to be knowing what I'm spending money on. Nah. Um, all right. Mostly it's it's uh, 12 packs of uh, the Miller High Life. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so, okay then. Uh, are we ready for feedback? We are. All right. Before we get to feedback, uh, it's time time to pay the bills. Time to uh, get our $25,000 parking lot expansion paid for. I mean, 20, I thought it was a million. We're 25, oh, yeah, 25 million. I'm sorry. Boy. I'm sorry. Well, I don't want to appear too wealthy. 
Oh, I don't want the sure, bleeds to come sure. for our blood. We still have the stadium to get under construction. We do. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna finance that, if you wanna join the billionaires club, go to club.baldmove.com, where not only do you get the satisfaction of making us rich, uh, but you- <laughs> <laughs> satisfying. Oh, so to satisfying. Someone. So satisfying on yeah. paper. Um, but you also get a bunch of premium features like ad-free feeds. Uh, we also do a couple of premium things we only do for club members. Uh, we got a preview for one of those every first Wednesday of the month. We release this thing called Quit Your Pitching, where we generate titles through using internet tools to non-existent television shows, and then we uh, improv what those shows would be about, and we cast them, and we 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 outline the plots, and sometimes they're poignant, and sometimes they're stupid, and sometimes they're funny. This week, uh, it's a Hardcastle and Stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got Brian Dennehy uh, as a hard-bitten detective, and Stalker is John Leguizamo, his stalwart companion who has a robotic leg somehow. And, you know, uh, Chuck Norris shows up as Walker, Texas Ranger, mostly because it rhymes with Stalker, and <laughs> hilarity ensues. Uh, we actually put the that whole segment at the end of this podcast if you want to... Uh, skip past the feedback and listen to it or just stick around after feedback and listen to it. You know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, but all that content and more, if you go to club.baldmove.com, it gives you the full pitch of all you can get. And also, uh, you know, uh, join, join, have Jim and Aaron join the, the Billionaires Club, the Thousandaires Club. Mm-hmm. First things first. That's step one. Step two, join the Millionaires Club. Step three, join the Billionaires Club. Step four, become invisible club.baldmove.com. Joel S., I, too, was disappointed to find out that Don Hertzfeld-esque animation wasn't commissioned by him and didn't even get an inspired by credit, nor any sort of acknowledgement. I understand that a great part of uh, Holly's Fargo is an homage to the Coen Brothers, but that's explicit in both the title of the show and the Coen Brothers are created or or, uh, credited as uh, executive producers. Mm Mm-hmm. This is such a departure from the style of the show to date and was directly inspired by another great, though much much less known director's work, that I wonder if it deserved an acknowledgement. I'm not sure where the line between homage and knockoff exists and when and how it's appropriate for a director slash showrunner to acknowledge to the viewer the person who inspired something so distinct, but this seemed to cross it. Um, so it's like, I want to, I, I agree with you, Joel, because I think it's, it's one thing to rip off... Um, like Wes Anderson, who's a very successful big name. Like everyone's seen a Wes Anderson film. Uh, picking on Don H here, um, I kind of agree. Like I was shocked. I just assumed that they commissioned him to do it. And if not, thank him in the credit sequence. Yeah. Something like uh, because otherwise, it does feel like they're just they're just stealing from uh, from uh, a lesser known director creatively. <laughs> yeah, not sure how I feel about it. I mean, I don't think there's a legal case here. Um, I think it's all about the ethics. And if you've built your career, from what I can see so far, on wholesale, you know, theft of other people's style and influences and stuff, then uh, I, don't, I didn't think it was a good look either. I wish that they had done, they, you know, it seems like every review mentioned it. So there, I'm sure that, you know, Don got a lot of new fans. Um, but especially since I, I didn't realize this until I started reading, but I guess he's staunchly anti-commercial work too. Huh. Like he doesn't do things for commercials. He doesn't do things for t-shirts. He does, he, he does animation as art and like that's, that, that's exclusively it. So I don't know. I thought it was uh, not a good look. 
Dan from Mogador, UK. Mogador, really? Mogador? One does not simply send feedback from Mogador. (laughs) Um... Very Lord of the Rings. Anyway, yeah. the the mouth of Sauron says, in last week's episode, did you not get the feeling that the motel looked very similar to the motel where a shootout takes place and the spaceship came down to season, in season two? Didn't you Didn't debunk this on the podcast? This? Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was something you it. and I were talking about over lunch or if it actually made it to the podcast. It made it to the podcast. Uh, anyway, he says that um, he's he's wondering since it does look the same, even if it's not the actual same, are we supposed to understand that perhaps the previous seasons were just pieces of writing by Thaddeus Mobley? I would fucking hate that. I mean, maybe last season with the sci-fi connection. Yeah, but 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 that last season the, is immediate is directly connected to the first, and so. they're all supposed to be a true story. And also right. the um uh uh, 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 uh uh who's the guy that played uh, the guy from season one, <laughs> Martin? The, the guy who played the guy, yeah, Martin Freeman. Yeah, yeah. He narrated what purported to be true midwestern crimes an anthology that was true med midwestern crimes and that season of fargo was one of the crimes in it hmm. so like okay if this is all just a bullshit writer story i will rage quit this show so hard <laughs> so hard and so fast because to me that's just like that's you're already flirting with being too cute for your own damn good. If yeah. you start doing this wheels within a wheels bullshit and like oh it's not a true story it's a i get it it's all fiction but the show's got to have a consistent narrative voice, right? Yeah. Or else what the hell is any of this? No, I agree. Um, I At at times, this show gets a, certainly a little too cute for me. Um, and cute for cuteness's sake is not something I'm interested in. Yeah. Unfortunately, Dan, I think you're going to have to take that theory and throw it back into the crack of Mount Doom from whence it came. Throw it into the wood chipper. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nick says, uh, I was going for the, the Mogador theme. I know. Nick, one aspect of Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood con job subplot that struck me as false was the relationship between the naive writer and the producer. Thaddeus Mobley seemed like a naive young man, ready to see the world. Perhaps someone like that could easily be taken advantage of in a place like L.A. if, it was, if he was on his own. But therein lies the problem. He should never have been on his own in that business deal. Science fiction might have been a weird ghetto, but authors had agents. Hugo award-winning authors especially. Read any of Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, or especially Harlan Ellison's writings on the history of their personal lives. All these authors are acutely aware of how they were making it work financially, what magazines to submit to, what the studios were paying. It strikes me as a pretty unbelievable that successful author like Mobley had no one between him and Zimmerman. Uh, I, I agree. My slight pushback would be... Would you feel better if there was one scene in the montage of him of his literary agent saying what an idiot he was and then right. he's just looking at the girl and he can't like Vivian? Uh-huh. Like I they could put that scene in, but the I I I, I guess their story that they're telling is this guy's so twitter pated by this woman. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's also a, an insight in array too, that he just can't see the obvious danger that he's getting himself into. Yeah, it's true. Also, I mean, uh, like shit, what was that guy's? Ray's got two separate supervisors looking after him and, and, and handing him a shit umbrella and he refuses it. So yeah, I feel like that's, that's kind of how Thaddeus would have done it. What were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say, is it Zimmerman? Zimmerman? Um, that oh, yeah, guy, the agent, yeah. Uh, yeah, the producer 
con- like immediately latches onto him after he wins this award. So it's mm-hmm. not like he was Robert Heinlein for 20 years and then this dope comes up to him and starts dazzling yeah him. but it, if you if you get nominated i think you and you didn't have an agent before you would have an agent calling right like just getting nominated for a, a major award like that uh possibly yeah um but you know having i don't know it's tough because i get the impression that this guy flew in for this convention and just yeah. got immediately bamboozled yeah um, after he won the award yeah, and it might be one of those things where the more you know about the mechanics of science fiction writers in the 50s, sure. the less you're going to enjoy this because, you know, reality is these guys that write fiction only barely care about getting the details right enough to tell their story. Sure. And it's like, you know, if you're a hacker, you're not going to like stuff about hacking. If you're a doctor, you're not going to like stuff like ER. So, uh, Jesse. Hey, it's me, Jesse, from Charleston, South Carolina. I thought this was a really good episode, and I'm very interested to see where the season is going. Varg is the most unsettling character I've seen in any season of the show. Lauren's goal of causing chaos in the first season seems much less ominous as compared to Varga. David Thewlis' betrayal drives home more of a feeling of omniscience. If Lauren was a demon, Varga is the devil. Was wondering how y'all feel about Varga, the comedy, and the random coming togethers of the plot so far. Uh... Where is, does Varga take his place in the pantheon of Fargo villains, keeping in mind this is season or episode four? Oh, I think he could definitely hit the top. Um, yeah. Lorne Malvo always felt like there was something otherworldly about him, but it didn't somehow seem as menacing as Varga, right. who has you know a, a much more uh, disturbing visual image. Right. Um, he also seems to be somehow in much more control over a larger situation than Malvo was. Mm. Malvo felt like a very personal uh, devil. Right. Whereas this guy feels like a global devil, global evil. Yeah, and you can't see David Thewlis ever, like, doing the double aces and talking about thumbs <laughs> no. butt. And, like, although the bulimia thing does kind of humanize him, right? Hmm. Although maybe it doesn't, because I, I felt that was so... Like I, this guy who eats the world and then throws yeah. it up was all yeah. was very uh what's the word I'm I'm trying to say like very almost uh, like Campellian or Jungian and 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 what they're trying to conjure up here. Yeah, for sure. I I think it actually serves more to push him toward the Malvo camp, honestly, mm-hmm. of like this otherworldly kind of person. You know, bulimia is not something that is otherworldly, certainly, but no. taken as like a literary device where he is uh, a glutton and greedy and just a devourer. Like, like he's got a Stephen King type curse, right? Because, um, yeah, because you never see him like stick his finger down his throat. It's almost like this is just a natural consequence of him eating. He can't digest the food. <laughs> right. Something wrong. Like it's it's more metaphysical than it is like a mental. Although. If he does have bulimia, then that also implies he has some kind of uh, mental illness as well. Like, you know, he's got body dysmorphia or... Sure. Like, his quest to appear invisible, is that manifesting itself in the desire to become just, like, ultra-thin to where you're just disappearing? It's possible. I've heard, um, you know, people talking about him saying he throws up because he doesn't want to look well off essentially because in right. historical times you know uh, yeah I, the, I saw that analysis didn't yeah. find it very convincing it's been a long time since fat red as right well off i think walmart killed that yeah <laughs> um 
I suppose so, but when you look at all of like the Soviet Russia parallel or not not even parallels, but um just the tie-ins here, I could maybe see yeah, it. Yeah, and that's a pretty shallow read of culture. Like even though Americans are getting heavier and heavier and fatter and fatter, that is because we have this rich fucking diet. Um, that's true. And yeah. we are well off in comparison to you know, many, many other nations, you know? So, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, let's continue on. Nick, this week you saw Emmett's safe deposit box contains nothing of importance. Well, I don't know to who I, it, it can't, it, yeah, I keep going back and forth. There's gotta be something more than just a fucking dog. But then we saw the guys in the know uh-huh. and it does seem like it was just, the box containing the dog's cremains. Seems like it. And that feels like this show, you know, throw something weird in for weirdness right. sake. So we're left with this concept that the Stussy Parking Company is essentially totally legitimate. And Emmett and Sai are rolling over for Var- Varga based purely on their fear of him and his organization. There's no other reason they can't go to the police. Two legitimate businessmen tell their lawyer to look into Varga. He dies. And the response is to not get the other authorities involved. It seems a bit unsatisfying. Hmm. I mean... I disagree. I entirely disagree. People are driven by fear all the time in all of their decisions. Yeah. And this is just another example and probably one of the most warranted examples. Yeah. Like when people start dying around you, does that make you more or less afraid? <laughs> now, it makes me more afraid. I guess the one chink in that armor or theory's armor is that it – I don't know how I feel about this too, but they – Make it seem as Emmett for sure did not make the connection between Varga's threat and his lawyer's death. Yeah, and yeah. Sai maybe maybe is just beginning to entertain that idea. Yeah. So that's true. There, you can't say that's an implicit threat if the <laughs> if the subjects of the threat are ignorant of it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean the the idea of fear driving their decision still stands, right? Agreed. Organized crime comes to you and says, "Hey, do this thing." Uh, you now have a very real choice to make. Yeah. Go to the authorities and hope they can protect you or cooperate with them and hope the authorities don't find out. Yeah. It is harder to believe that there's nothing. I, I wish they'd made – all this could have gone away if they just made it clear that they got into a shady deal. Right. Like they knew they were going in for mob money, but they didn't know that mob money was connected to yeah. this whole other op- apparatus. So then you know, it's much easier. It's like – um you know, like wasn't that a, a Black Mirror plot? The the idea that uh, they that the spyware would take pictures of you while you were jerking off to some like like kitty porn, and then it would extort you. Or is that a real life thing going on right now? Mm, I don't know. Huh? Never heard of like it. this kind of ransomware where it's like it, it takes a video of you pleasuring yourself, also while simultaneously showing you what you're pleasuring yourself to, and then they threaten to like release that tape to your friends and family and the media unless That's you pay them X solution of to dollars. That. Don't jerk it to kitty porn. Don't jerk it to kitty porn. Or uh, the, but I mean, Pretty there's also solution. a lot of things that aren't illegal that would be embarrassing oh, sure. enough you wouldn't want your family to see. Like right. uh, guilty as charged, I would hate to see t- <laughs> at my worst, my worst shame jerking moments. I would hate to see those plastered on the internet. Okay, um, yeah, that's part of the reason I'm doing bald move. I'm making myself bulletproof by just continually making wild claims about myself. No one can <laughs> ra- ra- uh, ransom me with anything because, like, fuck it. Fuck it. Post, right. I'll post it on baldmove.com before you can do it, fucker. Like last week. It'll be, we it'll took... be club content. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there go our subscribers. Yeah. 
Jim sues me for malfeasance. Like, look, man, this it's the half of this is mine. You can't just fuck the company. Um, Most of our subscribers are just members of the mob anyway, so <laughs> they're all bots. Yeah, ninety five percent of the members of Club Ball Move are just bots from China and, and Russia. Yep, yep. We're just waiting for Putin to the the tighten the noose. Uh, okay, so yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a little unsatisfied. It's a little weird. I think they could have easily done a little bit more smoothing on this but they, they could have so yeah um and that's all the feedback we got for this week if okay. you'd like to send us more fargo at baldmove.com uh and that's it we'll be back for next week yeah we will uh we will see how quickly that uh, now that she's got all the information she needs that uh, uh gloria and winnie can uh can can solve this thing i feel mm-hmm. like it might I, I what is that oh Guys, I guess the other question is, if she gets Ray for the murder, does that end? Does her investigation end? I can't. I can't imagine. That's why I said earlier that they've got to somehow connect Gloria and Varga. Um, she has to get involved in that investigation as well. I agree, and it does seem like they're making her out to be the ultimate predator. I'm just yeah. Uh, it also just seems like she has every piece of information she needs that within an episode or two of sleuthing that she can solve this. So yep. Uh, how will they stretch that out, or, or maybe maybe they'll finally get to the real story that they want to tell? Who knows? <laughs> well, we'll have um, to wait and see. I mean, after all, Lord, like Fargo had that weird second act in the first season too, where yeah. you know Lauren went on to banging uh, dental te- technicians or dental hygienists, and mm-hmm. uh, um, oh shit, what was the guy's name? Mart- Martin Freeman's Lester. Lester. Lester yeah. Nygaard went out to you know married the. His uh, travel age fellow travel agent and yep. had a whole thing and look how that turned out. And then Fargo two had a UFO. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see you next week. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Bye bye. Hardcastle and Stalker. Even this is the way, like your generic buddy crime. Even drama, the way right? I said Hardcastle and Stalker, you can tell it's a, genet- a generic buddy. Okay, we definitely need to pick the actors. I mean, so, that's the most important thing of any crime drama show, right? So Hard Hardcastle sounds like a real fire plug of a man. Like he does. he's just like uh, um, who, who's uh, Vic Mackey from The Wire yeah. or not? <laughs> yeah, the Vic Mackey from The Wire <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> from The Shield. Uh, what is that guy's name? I don't know. He's like he, the the pro, the thing with him is that he's like five foot nothing. Yeah. So like everyone sells him oh, as this. Then I got the perfect pair. What what's the second guy's name? Hardcastle and what? Uh, Stalker. Stalker. Yeah. John Leguizamo. Is the stalker? Yeah. So yeah, you're going he's a small guy too. So like uh, Michael Chiklis. God, that's Chiklis, his name. Yeah. Uh, so you're going for like stalker creepy. Not stalker like hunter or right and like kind of cat. annoying and just yeah okay John John he, he'd give Howard Castle a real you sure hard you don't time. want to get his cousin here Leguizmo <laughs> Leguizmo like Leguizmo like Wasamo nah I, he's he's already got enough work we're gonna bring John back in who is the other guy that was like in a bunch of old late eighties movies that uh, he's like uh, Brian Dennehy. You know, the oh, guy from, yeah, like, yeah. Cocoon? Uh-huh. Yep. Like, I think he's a good hardcastle. He would pair be a good well. hardcastle. He'd pair well with the Leguizamo. 
All right. I think what you really need is you need that odd couple feel, right? You yeah. Need, like hard the straight man and the ridiculous bozo. He's he's literally a hard ass. Like he's yeah. just uh, this uncompromising, angry dude guy. And Stalker has one leg. Because <laughs> we got we have to give him quirks. I mean, we can't just do a straight up. He's crime John drama. Leguizamo. <laughs> he comes out of the box like loaded I bet with you quirks. John Leguizamo. He John Leguizamo came up with the idea. Give me give me one leg. Just take away one of my legs. You know that's going to cost a lot, John. We're going to have to CG that. Yeah, I don't care. What's so, part of my character? I've built it. Does into he it. have a bio, like one of those uh, you know carbon fiber spoon legs, or does oh, he have? Yeah, he's got like a first generation one that he can't, <laughs> can't really control all that well. Okay, all and, right. Or or maybe it's the ones that like last for three months and then your nerve cells get coated in this this what residue. The fuck? Have you heard of this? No, huh? Yeah. So apparently, like. The the prosthetics that they've been testing on people, like, stop working after a while because really? like your nerve endings, the receptors get they like, get like coated in or some kind of yeah, some kind of residue. Wow! And so they just stop working. So maybe that's the key. Like, every three months he has to get a new leg, or every three months he has to take three months off walking. <laughs> right. <laughs> or he just has to drag the leg around because he's got emergencies that he's got to. He probably has fix. a wheelchair. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Does Hardcastle push him around in a wheelchair? Sure. It's, it's a crime buddy drama uh-huh. uh, where one of them is half the time in a wheelchair, half the time a superhero. Uh-huh. <laughs> <With> a <laughs> and the fu- other one with, just with resents a, him the whole faulty, time. With a faulty superpower. <laughs> right. Right. Half the time he has a bionic leg that he can leap buildings with. Mm. Half the time he can't get out of bed. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's certainly a fish out of where uh, The other pa- location where they have to have like it's got to be hawaii it's got to be boulder colorado it's got to be new new york city it's got to be it's got to be lubbock texas (laughs) (laughs) hardcastle seems like you'd be from lubbock it sure does yeah lubbock texas the heart of lubbock i like it and they're hunting down drug dealers and mules and cattle rustlers. Cattle rustlers, sure. There's <laughs> some cattle rustling going down there. Yep. Uh, and then you got the the Texas Walker Ranger, Walker Walker Texas, the Texas Walker yeah. Ranger. That's going to be the epic crossover. Oh man! Because that's like turns out that Hardcastle and Walker went to the same like police academy. Hardcastle and Stalker meets Walker. <laughs> yeah. And they both hate Stalker. <laughs> so, like, he's going to have to win him, and, and he's going to show right. up in, in one of the three-month phases where he doesn't have his foot. So he's going to have to <laughs> win him over. He's going to have to dig deep oh, and impress man. Walker based on his non-superhero configuration. And he, he's he's unable to do it for three months. He's been trying and trying to impress Walker, get him to like him. Then finally his leg comes back online, and he does the sweetest roundhouse kick. Oh. And Walker's like, oh, my God. Oh, oh my man. God. Oh, man. Uh, I was going for more the heartwarming that he's going to just, like, do solid police work and prove that you don't need a superpower okay. leg. You right. can be a disabled American. But, yeah, sure, get your get your super leg back, and suddenly you're worth a damn. Uh, <laughs> you won me over the sweet roundhouse kick, honestly. Uh, okay. Oh, man. 